Hey, all right, everyone. The newest episode of Heal Thyself. Thank you so much for joining the show. Taking time out of your day. I really do appreciate that very much. So thank you for supporting the show. Like I always say, rate, review, subscribe to support. We are exponentially growing this and I appreciate you all for taking the time. Now, this is going to be a good show. I've been waiting for this guest, Peter, to come on for quite a while. And I'm telling you, this man will blow your mind. Uh, he blew my mind when I first met him, and he is going to just drop so much knowledge. And in the knowledge bomb, I'm going to go over food sensitivities and intolerance, something really important that we need to pay attention to. Why? Because it's on the rise. And I bet you one of you or one of your friends or one of your family members is suffering with this. So let's get to the bottom of it. All right, so food sensitivities and intolerances. This is pretty big. Um, I've met a lot of people who are actually suffering with the ill effects of food sensitivity and intolerances without even knowing it. For many folks, it can really just manifest in the digestive system, which is pretty blatant. You know, oh, I, I ate these cashews and oh, I don't feel too good. We see that, but then it can go outside of those systems. So all of a sudden, that joint pain that you're feeling or that fatigue or that headache, you're not really connecting to the food and thinking that it might be something else that's causing it. So it's really important to start teasing this out because it's gonna go far for us when we understand our relationship to food and why and what's happening. Food sensitivities and tolerance are different than food allergies. I did an uh, allergy episode pretty recently. So go back and listen, because I speak about food allergies. Food allergies are when you have that anaphylactic shock, say if you're allergic to peanuts and you gotta go to the hospital. But food sensitivities and tolerance, they are on the rise. Uh, about two to 20% of the world experiences them. And I have found medically that I'm seeing it a lot. I have been seeing it a lot, especially from the past 10 years where I've been studying. Uh, so when you switch back and forth between the two, um, we need to know, because I'll be talking about both food intolerance and sensitivity, what's the difference? So a food intolerance involves really enzymes, like, like lactose intolerance. That's when you have an issue with the lactase enzyme, right? So that's abnormal functional response in the body, whereas food sensitivities, they involve the immune system. That's an abnormal immune activation based on the food. So when we digest food, the healthy process is supposed to be, it goes through the whole digestive system and it's broken down differently uh, in different parts of the digestive system. But ultimately, we're sucking up all of those nutrients, right? Those dietary components are broken down and we're sucking up those nutrients. And we should have a sufficient functional response, right? We're supposed to have the enzymes to break it down, the, the stomach acid to break it down to be nice, nice and smooth from, from mouth to anus. And uh, the digestive process, we're supposed to avoid those intolerances, right? But sometimes, sometimes we are suffering with a lack of uh, digestive enzymes or an insufficiency that's going on that's really causing a strain on our body and we're suffering those ill effects. Also, we could be suffering with an immune response, a dysregulated immune response, right? Where you're eating the food and those proteins are eliciting an immune response and the alarms are going off in your body. And you're gonna be feeling that. And that's the sensitivity part I was talking about. And it does so for many folks. I've seen it in practice. I've seen it in colleagues and friends and families. So um, both the intolerance and sensitivity, they manifest similarly. Some of the things we see are stomach aches, bloating, heartburn, nausea, vomiting, bowel changes, headaches, irritability, fatigue, joint pain, eczema, brain fog. These are common. I'm sure that 
most of us have suffered with some of this and maybe even not connected it to the food that we're eating. So it's important to understand why all your life, all of a sudden you can't eat raisins or all of a sudden you can't eat walnuts or chickpeas, right? And I spoke about uh, on a few episodes about bio-individuality, right? Um, we're all different where I can eat maybe raisins, my brother can't eat chickpeas, my dad can't eat walnuts. But our genetics are really something that determines our relationship to food, but it's not everything, right? A lot of the environment has a strong effect and influence on how we are affected by food. Um, so it's very much on our biochemistry and how our physiology reacts to numerous factors that are outside of us. I told the, I mentioned the external influences. So I think when you talk about intolerance or sensitivity, as we mentioned, remember intolerance is really with those enzymes and sensitivity is really with the immune function. I think the sensitivity is more driven by external factors. That's why we develop them over time. That's why all of a sudden you can't eat peanuts or you can't eat raisins. So in food intolerance, I just mentioned enzymes. Enzymes are doing the major work to break down food, right? They go through these processes right, where they're activated and activated and activated and they help breaking down. And different enzymes do different things in the body. Uh, some of us may produce less digestive enzymes and some of us may produce more. I've seen the folks who produce less have some support from digestive enzyme complexes and it really helps them break down food and they feel better. Um, but some of us may also have just weak or dysfunction in our organs, which are producing the digestive enzymes, let's say the pancreas. So when they're running smoothly, though we're having really good digestion. You have, you'll have things being shot out like lipase, right? Breaking down fat, amylase, breaking down the carbs, protease, breaking down protein. Um, how much we produce is really determined by our genetics and individuality, but also, like I said, can be hampered by external things. So digestive, comp uh, the process is very complex, a lot of moving parts. Um, everything is really being activated as it's moving through the body. It's very elegant, for lack of better terms, but Lactose intolerance, as I mentioned, is a common intolerance that we feel. Uh, some folks handle milk better than others. At the end of the day, you know I have my medical opinion on people drinking milk in the first place, but for context, this will help you understand that, yeah, some of you, I'm sure that you know someone who can chug milk and be okay, whereas you chug it and you'll have diarrhea, nausea, bloating, and that's because of that functional change, that enzyme, that is an intolerance. And some of us, like I said, have really robust enzymes. Uh, have you ever seen someone who can be at a party and they have that vegetable platter of raw food of carrots and, and broccoli and celery and they're eating it and they're fine. I know me, myself, I don't like eating raw food or raw platters. I'll immediately get a stomachache but that's because certain folks vary in those digestive enzymes. Now in the context of sensitivity, which is really gonna be the latter part of this, but really important, we have to understand how our immune system is reacting to food. The sensitivity is an abnormal response to the food being digested, right? Um, a food allergy, as I mentioned, I had, a, I had a whole show on food allergies, is an immune-mediated sensitivity, and that's immune-mediated by an uh, antibody called IgE. IgE is what really releases the histamine in our body and causes our body to react, and you know we have a uh, peanut allergy, and then they have to go to the hospital. What I'm talking about is more non-IgE sensitivities, different antibodies, and this is more common. Uh, so the question is, why is our immune system becoming dysregulated? Well, we know about gut permeability. I know y'all heard about leaky gut. Um, and these are key players to food sensitivity. We know that substances that are not supposed to be in our bloodstream 
are getting there, right? Those proteins, those substances are going through the mucosa and the lining of the gut, getting to our bloodstream and our immune system is going, what the heck is going on? Now, our immune system is really sophisticated because not only will it handle the issue at hand, but it also will remember the threat. So then later when we're, you know, we may have reacted to cashews, but then all of a sudden we eat it and we have an immune response. Okay, now we have joint pain. Now we have a headache. Now we have bloating. Now we're burping nonstop. That's what's really causing a big issue is the gut permeability. So hold tight because I'm going to tell you what causes gut permeability in a few, but I want us to keep in mind the integrity of our digestive system. So other factors involved in this dysregulation, well, the microbiome. I mean, it. I feel like it always comes back to how the bacteria in our gut are handling, uh, handling things that are coming in, that are coming out, and the association and diversity, um, how they're speaking to each other. That's so important for us to understand because as our microbiome gets healthier, I promise you, we as individuals get healthier, both mentally and physically. So. To me, uh, a disrupted microbiome is a primary cause of food sensitivity. Changes in our microbiome are reflecting our ever-changing reaction or relationship with food. There's thousands of different species in, in countless combinations in our digestive system, and that's a huge factor on how we tolerate food. We know that people. We know this because people who receive um, fecal transplants will see that they're inoculated with within, from with an imbalanced gut. They're inoculated with a healthy donor and their sensitivities go away, a lot of their inflammatory diseases in their gut go away, which really lends to a clue saying, all right, well, that microbiome is translating and inoculating our unhealthy microbiome, and we're having a better relationship with food, but also just being healthy, healthier overall. So uh, we know the microbiome can influence the immune system as a whole. Um, now we see this with alterations, right? Dysbiosis is an alteration, the overgrowth of those pathogenic bacteria that are causing a lot of trouble in our gut and the reduction in those really healthy, beneficial commensurate bacteria. So it uh, can affect the way the immune system reacts to antigens, right? What the microbiome does is it's capable of degrading and modifying those food antigens such that the immune system can handle and won't react to those antigens the way that it would if it's if you have a dysregulated um, process and the immune system is starting to sound the alarms and then we're and our body are suffering. So a healthy immune tolerance sees food as safe, there's no alarm, the microbiome is breaking down or modifying those antigens, everything is fine. But an unhealthy one, when there's that dysbiosis, that imbalance, those good guys aren't able to modify. They're not able to break down. And then the immune system is going, what the heck are these food antigens? I don't like it. I'm going to cause an issue. Let's sound the alarm. Let's get all of our immune troops ready because we might have to go to war. And you hear it all the time because gut health is central to health, right? What, so what I mentioned before, what causes leaky gut? What disrupts the microbiome? Antibiotics, we know that. Um, we did a show with Dr. Mary Pardee talking about antibiotics and gut health. Pesticides and herbicides. Glyphosate is a huge one that disrupts the gut. Do you see why I don't shut up about organic food? Is because every single time we put food in our mouth, it's a choice to how it's going to affect our microbiome. What about uh, choices in food? If you ain't eating fiber, then those good guys, that dysbiosis is really being pushed to the surface and those good guys are dying off. You wanna feed the good commensurate bacteria with fiber. It's so important. Stress, 
right? Those hormones are going to affect your microbiome. So you got to find stress reducing techniques. See, you see how it's not just a supplement or just food that is going to help you here. It's different factors. And that's because we're complex. We're multifactorial beings and our health is multifactorial. Infections, huge. When you have bacterial overgrowth, they're metabolizing all this crap and then shooting out endotoxins into the body, increases gut permeability, increases development of food sensitivities, right? So we got to think of ourselves. How much of this is really a huge internal change in physiology or how much of it is also how our food has changed? Because we know that food has changed over the years, especially since the 90s. Our food just been has been adulterated so much and modified. I believe it's actually both. I think food adulteration came in first and our body adapted. And when we have this like new sensitivity to almonds, it's because our immune system just, it didn't just decide out of nowhere to rebel against us. Maybe it's our immune system reacting to the chronic exposure. For example, a, a chemical in the almonds like propylene oxide, which is being used to pasteurize. These are things that we need to think about. Are we really reacting majorly to the food and the, the, the structure of the food, or are we really reacting to the chemicals that it's being treated with? Again, another reason why to eat closest to nature, choose organic. So um, it's an important question to ask, right? So just think about that, uh, that little seed that I may have planted. Now, many labs are able to test for um, food sensitivities. A lot of naturopathic and functional doctors do it. I personally have never been a huge fan. Why? Because I believe they're inaccurate. Um, a lot of labs will say they are very accurate, but what I see uh, with patients is that all of a sudden, you can have a four out of four on cashews, but these folks are like, I eat cashews all the time and I'm fine. But then it says you're a one out of one, your lowest on lettuce, but then this person has every symptoms under the sun. So that's because there's a lot of cross-reactivity, right? A lot of foods share similar structures and our immune system can react to that food, but not the other one, but the test can't really differentiate. If you want to really, really do a uh, food sensitivity test, the only one that I really like is by Cyrex and have no affiliation, but Cyrex is really the most sophisticated one. It's also not coincidentally the most expensive one. It's pretty expensive, but it's the best one. And that's gonna tease out those cross-reactivities. But really, instead of spending your money, why don't you just do an elimination diet? You can do that and you can remove foods that you suspect you're reacting to and reintroduce them one at a time. And you're gonna track your symptoms as you reintroduce them. This reintroduction phase is gonna be able to show you well, damn, I had no idea that cranberries are really affecting me the way they used to because now I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. I'm reintroducing cranberries and all of a sudden my right knee is hurting me. Then you're going to start being able to be more proactive in your health, right? So it's usually a five to six week process, but it's going to be able to show you a lot and it's going to be long-term plan for you. So to me, that's more accurate than sensitivity testing because it's your body. It's your results. Um, and when someone comes in after an elimination plan and writes down everything for me, that helps me way more than a test. So some take home stuff, you gotta work on your gut. You gotta eat pre and probiotic foods without fail. Try to do that daily. Get, have a little, what I do is I have a little jar of fermented foods in my fridge and I'll take a tablespoon and I'll just have um, the, the juice and the, let's say, let's say carrots or chicory and, and then I'll have prebiotic food. So you can have some jicama for snacks or asparagus, really anything with cellulose, garlic, onions, all of these prebiotic foods and probiotic foods daily are gonna be really helping reestablish that healthy gut. And you do that without fail. Um, and be vigilant. If you take antibiotics only when it's necessary, and it's unfortunate because a lot of these doctors are 
prescribing them when it's not necessary or not even known to be bacterial, there's a huge over-prescribing of antibiotics. We need to be very vigilant. We only take it when we need to, all right? Go see a naturopathic doctor. Go see a functional doctor who can help you when you don't need to take, when you're sick and you don't need to take antibiotics. They'll help you uh, recover if you do take antibiotics or they'll help prevent them if you don't need them. Get your food organic. I just mentioned pesticides, herbicides, glyphosate. Make sure you're giving your gut a lot of love. Handle your stress. Get your techniques going over and over. If you're pregnant, make sure as much as you can, that you have a vaginal birth and you breastfeed, really important at inoculating your child. And address persistent gut infections. If you have a persistent gut infection, it's not gonna be able to heal. Those endotoxins are gonna continuously inflame and flame the digestive system. Those are your take-homes. So um, yeah, think about it. If you've developed a sensitivity, remember that all goes back to your gut health. So take these recommendations to heart, start making the intervention, and then see if all of a sudden your favorite food you couldn't eat, you can reintroduce it. Try that elimination diet. And that's all I have for today. That's the knowledge bomb. I'm really excited to get Peter on. So without further ado, let's get our guest segment going. All right, everyone, today's special guest. Man, 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 I've been excited. Episode 50, very special guest. My friend, Peter Crone, but when I say friend, that's just the first part of it. He is an Ayurvedic guru. I'm talking about he knows inside out everything Ayurvedic, but my favorite, favorite part and the most, the, the most, the most profound part of it all is he's a mind architect. And I'm just going to say that, but I'm going to let him really go into it because this man is changing lives across the world. And that is so profound to put out there. So please, without further ado, Peter, how are you? Splendid, my friend. I tried to give you the intro you deserve, man, but I couldn't even do it. <laughs> I couldn't even do it, man. You, you deserve a lot more because I, I am such a fan of everything you're doing for the world. Mm-hmm. Not just people, the world, right? Thank you. And, yeah. and And I know that you're, uh, you're getting a lot of recognition now because people want... I can't believe you just came on this podcast, actually. Everyone <laughs> wants you. Thanks for coming on, man. It's uh, my pleasure to be here. You have a beautiful sensibility about you, so I knew we would probably have a very... Uh, Profound chat. So yeah. I was happy to happy to be here. Yeah, man. So you've been doing um, well. You were on the Heal documentary. Yeah, which was amazing. Uh-huh. And now you've been really on the circuit. And even from the first time I, I heard your words, I go, "Oh man, this is this is it. This is where medicine should be heading." Mm-hmm. And we had this conversation yeah. when we were sitting down. Yeah. At dinner, I said, "All of these physical symptoms are like rooting out of these really deep seated uh, issues for people." Yeah. So yeah. can you tell us a little bit about how you work with people in that in that perspective? Sure. I mean, I think that's why there was sort of this beautiful resonance between us because you obviously have a depth of knowledge about how we take care of our biology, right? And I think it's just it's it's a common theme that when we have some sort of physical ailment that we're going to look to physical resolution, right? That just seems logical. Um, but for me, we want to sort of reverse engineer and find out, okay, well, why do you have some kind of imbalance? Like the body is always, as far as I'm concerned, it's always healing itself, right? That's its intention. You just have a simple cut on your finger. You don't necessarily have to do anything about that, right? You might support a little bit with a little bit of Neosporin and maybe a Band-Aid, but the body will take care of the actual details. So that to me speaks to the constant stream of wellness and vitality that's flowing to us. So then if we go to a deeper level and look at the emotional body and then the psychological body beneath that, what I'm actually doing is revealing 
what are these sort of primal constraints and limitations that we have as part of our subconscious, which really as a cascade are creating the absence of ease or dis-ease in our physiology, right? So that over time will manifest with some sort of compromise and breakdown in the body. Mm -hmm. So I'm not always working with people who necessarily have physical ailments, although to a certain degree, everyone's going to have something going on. Um, but I'm biased, but to me, it all stems back to what's going on at the deepest level of how you perceive yourself and how you relate to life. Are you in a constant but mild state of fight or flight, or are you in a state of ease and rejuvenation? Mm -hmm. And that speaks to our autonomic nervous system too, right? There's a hardware that represents both of those states of mind. Yeah, which is influencing our just whole biology in general, even yeah. to the cellular structure. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, so when, when going back to saying that we have these shifts, we call them like obstacles to cure or obstacles to healing. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes they're mechanical. Sometimes they're they're just overall, you know, part of a pathology or where you're going from is really deep psychological seated. Yeah. Are you, uh, are you then submitting that a lot of these issues for, are psychologically coming from youth? Is it, is it mostly traumatic experiences throughout youth or is it just throughout our whole life, adult life? Where are we holding that? Are we holding it and how is it influencing us? To me, it sort of runs the gamut, right? So I speak predominantly to what I consider these default states of mind, right? So they're universal, they're primal, and everybody's got them. Right? You don't see someone walking down the street and go, wow, that's weird, they've got two arms. Right? Like We understand that's part of the design of the physiology of a human being. So I would assert that that actually also applies to our subconscious patterns that are also inherent. Right? So they're, they're just there. They're default mechanisms for survival, for propagation, um, such that we can protect ourselves in what was you know, many, many, many years ago a potentially dangerous environment. So... Partly, it's the, the primal aspects. Um, when you talk about trauma that people go through, that obviously contributes, right? I, I don't necessarily like the word trauma. I think it's a little bit overused these days. Yeah. Um, it, it sort of it appeals to the victim in people, um, which I'm not a big fan of because I think humans are extraordinary and there's not many things that we can't overcome. Um, but there is obviously a, a litany of things that we go through, unfortunately, as children that can be very difficult and create a lot of pain and fear. So m for me, it's sort of like psychological epigenetics, right? So you, you're familiar, obviously, yeah. with epigenetics, right? Diet, lifestyle, and how that influences and turns on and off certain proteins. So likewise, I would say psychologically, depending on the things that we go through in our childhood, we're going to turn on some of these primal patterns. Right, so let's just take a very simple one. Every human being can relate to the idea of somehow not being enough. So, you know, it could be little Johnny, he's like five years old and he's playing soccer and his older brother, who's seven years old, is scoring all the goals and he's not. Right, it's a, it's a very benign situation, but that may be sufficient for when he comes in and his dad gives his older brother a little bit more acknowledgement Again, this happens every day, but for Johnny, his experience is, I'm not as good as my brother. Now, he's two years younger, he's not gonna have the same strength or speed, but psychologically, what he just enacted was this idea of insufficiency and inadequacy that then he will naturally wanna create some sort of adaptation to. Mm -hmm. So now he may become a people pleaser or try and show off or always be looking for his attention from his dad. Again, this is so human, but what happens is that over time, you know, two, three more years, five years, 10, 20 years, and then he wonders why in the workforce, 
he's not getting the same results as his colleague and he's not getting the same you know raises in his salary and he always feels like he's somehow not fulfilling on his potential and I would reverse engineer that as I said back to the fact that he at a very young age decided that he wasn't enough mm -hmm. now why is that powerful because it's like an invisible cage so you the quote I use is you can't create the life of someone you don't yet believe yourself to be so if he doesn't yet believe himself to be somebody who commands an extraordinary salary or is the person who keeps getting promoted then he's going to be in this sort of malaise of self-fulfilling prophecy of inadequacy mm -hmm. and that's just one so I've delineated in my work and that I'm going to be putting out in my book these what I consider 10 primal constraints that everybody's got so that's, that to me is whether it comes through what you're calling trauma or just a very difficult situation, uh, repetitive disappointments and failures that people have because we're human, but those internal constraints get triggered and then just by virtue of who we are, which is we want to belong, we want to be loved and accepted, we're going to develop whatever adaptations we have to. Now, conversely, it can go the other way too, right? So if we're a little bit more disciplined, then not good enough can manifest as a people pleaser, a perfectionist, somebody who works way too hard to try and compensate. Conversely, somebody could actually buy right into that construct and become a drug addict or homeless because it's sort of that's defining a human and then either we're trying to compensate for it and overcome it or we just buy right into it mm -hmm. does that make sense yeah even in at either a young way age. it's 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 a it's a <laughs> it's a tough thing to say i said this to a, a client the other day i said it looks like on the surface by virtue of the fact that they're very successful they make a lot of money but their relationships falling apart their physiology is struggling I said, the way that you're living looks on the surface as though you're doing way better than the person who's sleeping on Santa Monica Beach at night. But energetically, the thing that drives both of you is the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when people really get that, it's, it's, it's sort of, it's a bit of a, a bit of a disconnect, but it's energetically, as far as I'm concerned, they're being driven by the same piece of code mm -hmm. psychologically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's really interesting because you would never expect, and I think we were talking about like, you have that person who is walking past someone sleeping on Santa Monica Beach mm -hmm. and not thinking their world's apart, mm -hmm. universes apart, without yeah. understanding that maybe it was the same experience, yeah, just different choices that led to that. Just different adaptation. But, but as, as you said, that person could be functioning on the surface, but still energetically. Yeah. That same, that same flow is going with both of them. Yeah. The way that people relate to themselves. So similarly, you know, people who struggle with addiction, you know, for the person who's using a substance, they may get sort of bastardized as this person who's got issues and people don't talk to them or they get, you know, chastised from their family. And there's all of this woe around their, their choice. But the person who goes to the gym every day at six o'clock in the morning and is diligently going and God forbid you get in the way of them going. I would say there's not that much of a difference. You know, in either case, neither of them have real freedom, which is my main product, right? To be free from the constraints that, for the most part, are, we're oblivious to. Um, and that's the tough part, right? We can't break free of the constraints that we're, we're unaware of. And mm -hmm. so that's why these blind spots drive people's lives. And they, you know, it is frustrating because people will have symptoms, whether it be physiological, emotional, um, financial, relational, that they're oblivious as to why they keep happening. And it's because they don't know what are the deep codes that keep running those thoughts, feelings, and behaviors that create results that are unfulfilling. So 
Um, it, it, that's why I find this fascinating because it doesn't matter whether I'm working with this 60-year-old billionaire you know, or a 13-year-old kid who's apparently got ADD. Um, the patterns are they're just synonymous. Everybody's got their own version. How they manifest and then how people adapt to them, that's just, you know, they're the subtle variants. Mm -hmm. Do you believe that these patents uh, or these psychological epigenetic predispositions, are they, they're inherent, at least the ones you've identified, they're inherent in every single person and whichever one is activated is activated yeah. based on their own, you know, upbringing or just yeah. nature and nurture? I mean, that's my assertion, right? Like, so obviously not having uh, sat down with every human being on the planet right. should be quite an exercise. Uh, I'm just looking at it similar to why I gave the example of you see a person walking down the street with two arms, right? It's part of our, it's part of our design. So my assertion is that it is equally the part of a human being's design that at the primal subconscious level, we have these constraints. They're, they're designed for survival. Right. So if I believe that I'm not something, then it's it sort of turns turns on those behavioral adaptations to become part of the tribe, to make sure that I belong, to make sure that I'm looking out for any perceived threat, mm -hmm. which, you know, many, many, many years ago was a really useful system. And I'm not denying the fact that the sympathetic nervous system isn't useful. It is. Right. But when you're in that state perpetually, it's a degenerative state to be in. This is the restlessness that has people think that they're struggling with anxiety or they're not sleeping very well or they have digestive issues. Because as you know, if you're in sympathetic mode, then digestion isn't a priority, right? Um, the, the resources of our blood and everything is pumped to our eyes, our brain, our, mm. our musculature. It's not about like digesting your burrito, right? So um, that's where the cascade happens over time. It's, it's immense, the impact that it has. So yes, I'm asserting everybody's got them. To what degree people are defined by them? Maybe as we mature, we'd like to think that we do also overcome some of them. You know, people do work, they, they get therapy, they go to coaching courses, they have breakthroughs, they have epiphanies. Um, and then some might even be dormant that haven't quite been triggered yet. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's why I find it fascinating why I'm able to do what I do because people walk in with, you know, whatever their list of problems are and um, it's tongue in cheek and I say it with compassion, but, you know, no one actually has a problem. There yeah. is no such thing as a problem. Wow. There's a circumstance and then there's how you relate to it. So it's in the relating, the perception of something that creates our symptoms, right? The life doesn't contain suffering. There's no suffering in life itself. And I'm not saying it's ideal. And at times it's really, really difficult to deal with, but there's no problem. Then we get to see, oh, okay, hang on. It's how I'm interacting with life. It's my perception of circumstance that's creating my suffering, which then impacts my physiology, my emotional state, how I relate to people, how I do or don't make money, you know, all of that. But people are really under the impression that their issues are out there somewhere. And that's what leaves them you know, as victims of circumstance. And logically, if I feel that the way my experience of life is being generated is by my circumstance, then it's only natural that I'm going to constantly try and control circumstance, which is exhausting. Right. Of course. And it's never ending, right? Because there's, no. there's always going to be circumstances yeah. to try to control. Yeah. And I, I think that brings on like that part that you said blind spots, because we operate throughout our day to day and we have all of these quote unquote things happen to us. Mm -hmm. And then we go, well, how can I change this so it doesn't happen to me again? Yeah. And I think we're missing those steps as you're saying to really get to the root of being like, okay, well, what is the blind spots? And yeah. sort of like, how am I experiencing this and perceiving this and yeah. reacting to it? 
And that's where, you know, we get really esoteric here. We can talk about, obviously, the practical and the physiological and the biological. But to me, the esoteric is this dimension is purely, purely for our own um, liberation. So life will, you know, it's a quote that a lot of people have used in mind now, um, is that life will present you with people and circumstances to reveal where you're not free. So what does that mean? You will continue to have to revisit whatever it is that you haven't reconciled within you. You know, it's the old like, oh, gosh, why does this keep happening to me as a lay term of expression that people use out there? Well, it's because life is, is gifting you whatever it is that you have yet to reconcile within your own perceived sense of constraint. So it's not about managing, controlling, manipulating circumstances. What am I attracting energetically? What is my frequency that has these circumstances perpetually show up? that is revealing where I'm still holding on to something, which is usually like a reflection of something that is unresolved from my history or what I would call emotional indigestion, something that we still haven't processed, right? So that will, that's where life is gifting us. This dimension is set up for everybody. You will have the perfect circumstances for your own liberation. If you can look at it that way, then it changes the construct in which we look at life. Most people are playing the game of circumstantial comfort, right? Which means I will be okay when fill in the blank, right? I find enough money. I find the right one. I get a bigger home. I finally, you know, get in shape. I have the dr dream job, but it's out there and it's future based. But if you actually think about that for a second, if people are under the impression that the life they're looking for is in their future, they are going to be perpetually miserable because they're not where they think they're supposed to be but you've never been in your future and you never will be. So if I'm under the impression that my freedom, my happiness and my joy is in the future, then however subtle, I'm never going to be there, which is that malaise and that lack of fulfillment that people have versus recognizing, hang on a minute, I'm always where I am. But the question is, to what degree am I in harmony with where I am and to what degree am I resisting where I am? Resistance to me is synonymous with suffering. If I'm resisting any kind of circumstance in my life, then I am at some level going to be in a state of malaise, disease, suffering. So the game, as far as I'm concerned, is really to see how can I find true intimacy with reality, but without resistance to it. And of course, we can still have goals and aspirations. I'm a very creative guy. I'm looking forward to many things that I'm looking to share with the world and help people find freedom but also my own sense of creativity and self-expression. But it's not with the underlying subtext of like, that's when I'm going to be happy, mm -hmm. right? That happiness is somehow in the future, or as they say in the Declaration of Independence, you know, the pursuit of happiness, yeah. which yeah. to me which is, is crazy such a to disservice. Right? It's like, <laughs> to all these Americans going, oh, we have to pursue happiness now. Yeah. Now I get it. It's just that that sort of proverbial carrot before the nose, right? It's like I just can never quite get there. But Yeah, imagine just running like a rabbit all your life with a carrot in front of you. I've got to try harder. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I, I mean, when I was in college, man, I, I, I sort of, something shifted and I was on autopilot going, oh, circumstance in front of me without seeing the steps before that mm -hmm. and going, well, look, here's another circumstance. I'm just going to react to it. And mm -hmm. okay, now I'm happy or now I'm sad or now I'm angry. Yeah. Very reactive. And I'm assuming that that's a lot. That's how society just functions because that's the way the world is the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think that, I, do you think that when people say I've awakened or I've, I've experienced an awakening, is it that, is it understanding that, whoa, like I am a creator of the life that I'm experiencing? Yeah, I mean, there's when people, I'm, everyone's going to have their own sort of interpretation of awakening. To me, awakening is, it's not like 
this moment, like people think of enlightenment, like I want to be enlightened. And to me, it's sort of like it's got this romantic connotation, right? We've all heard, read, looked on YouTube and discovered like this whole realm of what it means to be enlightened. And I think it's got this sort of facade about it now, right? Like you suddenly have this massive epiphany. You've got white light suddenly bursting through your genitals. Mm -hmm. and <laughs> you're floating. <laughs> a halo. Yeah. Whatever it is. And I'm not poo-pooing that. Listen, I'm all about my work is about awakening. But to me, it's a, the expression I use, it's a mountain without the top. Right. So it's a if, if, if you got to that moment of like, oh, I'm there, I'm done. It's like it's sort of it's disappointing. Right. At one level, because, well, now what else are you going to work on? I think there are varying degrees of like awakening as a process or enlightening as a process. So for me, awakening is it's kind of if we were to gamify these 10 fundamental constraints to me, awakening is getting on the other side of them. It's like, oh, okay, I got out of that cage psychologically. You know, I transcended the limits of that one particular sense of constraint that I was in. That's an awakening moment. And you suddenly step into this new experience of what it means to be human. You have an entirely different relationship to life that is no longer based on survival or, as you said, reaction. Mm -hmm. um, that's an awakening process. And I would assert, like I said earlier, that the whole dimension that we're in here is entirely for that. It is so that we can break free of the shackles that are ultimately just between our ears, right? Mm -hmm. There's subconscious programs of fight or flight based in survival that have people struggle and suffer through life. Awakening is, can I transcend, overcome, get onto the other side of these very insidious, very hidden constraints about who I think I am and how I interact with, my, with everything that is outside of me? Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, one, one thing that I always question is, who am I in relation to this circumstance? Mm -hmm. Right? So then I can look within and be like, well, I am choosing to be, yeah, right? And and I think that's more empowering for people to navigate life, understanding that, well, okay, well, I can't control Kobe Bryant's death, right? but I can't control, you know, how it affects me or what I do with it. Yeah. You know, if, do I empower other people to, to, do you see what I'm saying? Like, no, this it's is a great point, but I also, and not to, you know, sort of challenge what you said, but I think there's an absence of compassion in your statement, right? Meaning you know, the whole thing with Kobe really hit me hard yesterday. Like that was, that was tough, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and I also want to shout out to the families that don't get mentioned, you know, For there sure. are nine people on yeah. that thing. So from pilots to passengers and everybody's going to be hurting. So <clears throat> when you say that, okay, we can't control something like that, but we can control our response to it or a reaction. There's a, that's a possibility. The difference is people don't know what they don't know. Meaning, their reaction, their response is still within the confines of these subconscious patterns. And I think this is where a lot of these motivational spiritual teachers and coaches are like, no, it's up to you and you decide how you feel. And I'm like, ah. mm -hmm. you know, that's a that's a slippery slope because yes and no. Right. You, you, I use the expression, there are none so self-righteous as the newly converted. Right. Mm -hmm. So once you understand something, you have what I'm saying is one of these awakening moments. Fine. Now you have a different interaction with life, but you can't be held accountable to that which you're oblivious to yeah. is another expression I use. And that's where there's a lot more love and compassion for people that a reaction to something is for the most part an unconscious process. 
It is purely based on somebody's subjective programming. So then to say on top, even though it's an empowering statement, I know what you're saying. Mm. Oh, you can choose how you react. Yes, as a potential, but as an actual, probably not. Mm -hmm. Because you're already wired to react in a certain way. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's very it's based, subtle. It's based on those, uh, what you were talking about, like those codes, basically. What yeah. Our subconscious. Yes. Right? Yeah. Which, which sort of leads me to my thing where I was saying, you had mentioned to me that subconscious is sort of like gravity. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so I, I guess that's what we're leading to is like, we are reacting or choosing to react to something in mm -hmm. some way based on the framework yeah. throughout which we've lived life, basically, yeah. is what you're saying, right? And yes, and another word that comes to mind is responsibility, right? I'm going to say it again, just because I think it's a powerful statement, which is you can't be held accountable for that which you're oblivious to, is the way I phrase it. Now, that speaks to the, the subtle subconscious constraints that people have as blind spots. So even like somebody who smokes cigarettes, right? In this day and age, the fact that people still smoke makes no sense, right? Because in, in terms of our intelligence, our awareness, our studies, the science, everything points to like, what the hell are you doing, right? So, but for the person who's smoking a cigarette, I want to bring an immense amount of love and compassion because they know, they know they shouldn't be smoking, but they don't know why they can't stop. And that right in there, that delta between wanting to make a choice that's good for themselves and yet habitually not being able to do it, there's a lot of suffering in there. Now, if I were to sit with them, I don't know, this is hypothetical, but I would probably reverse engineer that into, okay, they feel at a deeper level that they're bad. Something like that. That might be one of these codes, right? Like I'm not enough. The flip side is sort of similar, but I'm bad. And then they'll have all of these, these moments in their childhood to evidence that. Right. Oh, well, because I did this and I broke that and my mom got upset and my dad used to scream at me. So they're living in a construct called I'm bad. So if that's how they feel about themselves, then smoking cigarettes is a natural extension of that perception of themselves. Mm -hmm. But that's a lie. There's nothing bad about anybody. I'm not saying that people's behaviors are, you know, phenomenal and to be condoned, but certainly you're not bad. Now, once that person could see that, see it for what it is, see the impact that it has on their body of the fact that they feel worthless, no one gives a shit about me, like what's the point, then smoking or even drinking or doing drugs is just, it's, it's organically a part of that world. Right. But then to transcend that and see, okay, that happened, dad said this and blah, 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 and you failed this exam and whatever it is that happened, you took that on as that's who you are. But if that wasn't there because it's a lie, how would you feel? And most people are like, oh God, I'd feel so relieved. <laughs> Great. True. From that state of relief, the cascade into their emotional state, their physiological state would not be a precursor to a cigarette, mm -hmm. right? So, so again, we're jumping around here, but I hope people are tracking because this is a very powerful distinction, which is, yes, you're quote unquote responsible for everything that you're aware of, but there's so much that people are just oblivious to. Right. And that's why I think we can bring so much more patience, compassion with others and ourselves to go, okay, I don't know why I can keep sustaining this habit. I know sort of intelligently, psychologically that I shouldn't be doing it. It's bad for me. But I still don't know why I continue to do that. Why do people procrastinate? Why do people do drugs when they don't want to? Why do people not deal with the stack of you know, documents that they know they should have handled? Yeah. Um, so this sort of self-sabotage to me is all a extension of these subconscious patterns that people can't see, which is why it's so powerful because once you reveal them and see them that it's really just what I call these linguistic constraints, 
Now, all of a sudden, you access power, you access freedom, and it's an entirely different way to relate to yourself where you can really respond to life, right? That's another subtle distinction. Respond to life versus react. Mm -hmm. I can imagine those illusionary uh, byproducts just just crumbling away mm -hmm. once you see that blind spot and go, well, damn, I wasn't, I'm not inherently bad. Right. That's just the way that it was labeled at a young age. Yeah. And that's just, that's just a byproduct, me and, smoking cigarettes or, do, or doing whatever habits that are not serving us. Yeah. I mean, to the extremes of like people like trying to take their lives, cutting, you know, all of the things that people do that are very self-abusive. That can only happen when somebody doesn't understand their inherent value. Uh, I recently put this video out, like just a sort of a viral video that people just loved and really responded to because it was speaking to that. Like you look at a, you look at a newborn baby. And regardless of the socioeconomics or like, you know, the heritage of that family, the, the, the race of the kid, like it's, it's, it's recognized as a miracle that, that like, look at that baby. It's beautiful. And oh my God, all the potential. And then at some point, these subconscious patterns get triggered and they get fired and there's a disappointment. And then suddenly I'm not enough and I'm not wanted or I'm bad. And, and then the adaptations start, right? And so now we get into our sort of eight, nine, 10 years old, and then into our teens. And all of a sudden, what was a miracle is now somebody who is being chastised in every arena of their life, who hates themselves, and is on a slippery slope to a lot of self-abuse. Mm -hmm. So like to me, it's like, what happened? You know, you're this miracle who's magical, and all of a sudden, you know, you're a loser. And the awakening process to me is how can we sort of revisit what is beneath these constraints such that we have the same sense of value, the preciousness of life itself beyond these sort of constraints of inadequacy and security and scarcity that everyone at some point is going to experience. And that's, that's the arc of a human being as far as I'm concerned to recognize how inherently precious life is. And again, Everybody felt it with Kobe, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's sad that sometimes it takes something so devastating for us to remember how precious life is, right? And the fragility of what it means to be human. And, and again, I get sort of sappy and sentimental because I love life and I love people. But I just so wish, you know, even though it's a tragedy that I hope people really get to recognize from something like that, that maybe it's just not worth fighting with whatever family member anymore. And maybe they want to just transform that situation into love versus conflict. And yeah. to maybe take a little bit better care of themselves and hug their kids a little more versus like discipline them or hit them, you know? So again, I, I'm a sucker for love and I think that's what everyone's looking for. And um, trauma, disappointments, failures and loss like that are... I think great catalysts for people to kind of get over these everyday like mundane issues and maybe yeah. find a greater sense of love and compassion for yeah. each other. <laughs> yeah. And that's a dialogue or every time we see a tragedy like that is the same thing. Like, you know, huh, it's all over the news. Remember, mm -hmm. you know, it, it sort of brings oh, us back to perspective. Ones. Yeah. But how could, how do we keep that perspective? Right. It's like, yeah. How do we keep <laughs> operating? It's sort of like, okay, we see, this experience of this death. Yeah. And it reminds us to have a forge a better relationship with our parents or our lovers or, you know, yeah. our, our siblings. How do we operate after that to go, okay, well, let me 
be more in a state of love versus one that is driven by fear. Yeah. Because that's hard because society has taught us to live in fear, to yeah. react in fear. I mean, the, the content that's put out all throughout media is fear-based. Yeah. It, we're, we're up against a big stack. Wouldn't you agree? That's, that's the game, as I said. You know, it's like I've used this expression before. It's not about circumstantial comfort. It's about spiritual evolution, right? So these are glimpses, glimmers or even in our own personal like lives of when we have this moment of triumph and it gives us a sense of possibility, you know, I fall in love with somebody and then all of a sudden that moment that I fell in love with somebody three hours before my life was a shambles or I hated things. And all of a sudden what the circumstances are the same, right? But now I see this, like this joy, this potential, this possibility for myself. So that is, that is the struggle. Right. It's against the constraints that are deep inside of our programming against the aspirations of our soul. Right. Mm -hmm. And again, I get very poetic with my language. But to me, I say that, you know, the actual language of the subconscious constraints that every human being's got aren't they aren't sufficient. They're not big enough to actually allow for the realization and actualization that are the aspirations of our soul. Mm hmm. And if you really get that, that's the game. That's the to and fro, right? That's the tug of war that is like, okay, I'm living in this constraint, but what I aspire to is freedom. And so again, it's like this cosmic Houdini act, right? Mm -hmm. Where we've shackled ourselves and now it's like, who can break free? Yeah. You know, cosmic hide and seek. It's like, I believe deep, deep, deep down that I'm inadequate. I'm insecure. There's some sort of lack in my life. And yet that's a, that's a fundamental lie. And so now I'm aspiring to break free. And it really is that experience of breaking free of these constructs that bind me. Yeah. And life will, you know, at times really reinforce it so that you're like pushed into it and you want to fight out. And sometimes it will give you like, you know, a whole pass and say, hey, here's something to make you feel good and get beyond it. Mm -hmm. But that to me is the game of, of being human is yeah. to liberate ourselves from our unconscious, self-created uh, illusionary constructs, constructs yeah. right? That, that, that our soul is bringing these people, places, things, circumstances for us to, yeah. again, realize those blind spots. Mm -hmm. Sort of like, but unfortunately, we don't pay much attention. We just go, oh, what's going on here? There's another thing that I have to react to or, yeah. or what's happening. And then we try and control circumstance to feel better. Exactly. And, which... and this is, this is and, I, and I spoke to you about this a little bit, is my experience in relationships has been it's been unconscious, unconscious, unconscious. And then a few years ago, I said, wait, what am I creating in this relationship? Yeah, what am yeah. I experiencing? And then I did like a whole audit of my life and relationships. I said, yeah. well, damn, it's the same damn theme. Yeah. It is the same theme that must be based on something yeah. deep internal, a blind spot, which I have yet to see. Yeah, yeah. But I um, sort of pointed a little bit to it. You did. <laughs> dinner. You, you did at yeah. dinner. I said, wait a minute, I do have a blind spot here. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're the consistent theme in all the relationships, right? That's the good and the bad news. It's yeah. Like, it's like, you know, I feel for the woman who attracts a guy who, you know, at one extreme is physically abusive at a sort of other extreme is maybe just dismisses her. Like, you know, to me, uh, again, I, I love love, right? So if there's the absence of love, I still consider it a form of abuse, certainly when it comes to children, mm -hmm. right? Like you might not be hitting your kid, but are you really holding a space of love and security for the child? If you're not, then to me, it's still a form of you know, abuse is a strong word. I don't really like it, but, um, but anyway, yeah. um, you get the point, which is, you know, if some woman is continually attracting a male who doesn't revere her, who doesn't honor her, who doesn't love her, then that is a opportunity to see where does she, where does she have the absence of reverence, love and honor within herself, right? Mm -hmm. So 
the the whole reflection of like I'm going to be attracting the circumstances outside that are really reflective of how I relate to myself. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, I use Meryl Streep because I think even without knowing her personally, there's this sort of sense of reverence and elegance about how she perceives herself. Right? She's obviously gotten tons of accolades which help to reinforce it. But you couldn't see Meryl Streep being in a relationship with a guy who doesn't take care of himself, who doesn't respect her, uh, who's late on rent. Like she wouldn't be able to hold that frequency, you know? So again, it's like, okay, we get the opportunity to look at ourselves. Who am I in the way that I'm constructed, in the way that I relate to myself that continually attracts circumstances that are simply a mirror of that? And that's, Mm -hmm. that's the gift, right? If you get up out of bed and you go into the bathroom, you look in the mirror, and you see like you're breaking out on one side or maybe you shaved half of your face and you missed another part. It's like the mirror is giving you feedback. You know, where is there some absence of whatever it is that you're committed to? Where is there an absence of harmony and integrity and workability and stuff in your life? Well, life is showing you where shit isn't working. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And rather than try to control it and constantly fix it and manipulate it, like just go, oh, okay, hang on a minute. Why does that keep showing up? Showing up? Yeah, and and I and I'm the type where it has to show up with drums, tambourines, and a whole marching band <laughs> ticker tape parade. Yeah, for ticker tape, and be like, wait a minute, is this for me here? This yeah. ticker tape parade. Still not getting the message. Yeah, yeah, but uh, <laughs> of course, in line with my personality. But mm. I, man, I, I I get that, and I wholeheartedly align with that. The importance. Yeah. So then that gives us the opportunity to be empowered to actually experience something. And go. What's what's happening here? Is this is this a mirror? Is this reflection based yes. on our own construct of what we know? Yes, because we're going to be in that gravity right. situation where we yes. just have that. Yeah. Do you want to speak about the gravity? Yes, you mentioned it. I so did. Good. I did. I, I was I was hoping you didn't forget, and I, I yeah, knew it was yeah, in there. But yeah. yeah, please. Well, so you know the 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 point I use in terms of like these universal constraints is like here we are in Los Angeles. We could you know let's say we go to Phoenix and then we go to New York or then we go over to London and then we go down to you know like. Iceland and Sydney and wherever. And it doesn't matter where you go on the planet. If we were to stand on a table like this about three feet high and jump, we go down, right? We land on the ground. And that is by virtue of the fact that the planet is housed in this thing that we call gravity. It kind of sucks us and sticks us to the planet. So it doesn't matter where you go, that is always going to be in effect. So the way I use that as a metaphor or comparison is that the subconscious patterns, it doesn't matter where you go until such time that you've broken out of the same thing that is sort of holding you in that pattern, then you could be dating, you know, Mary or Sarah or Dawn, it doesn't really matter. There's always going to be that same pattern that shows up, you know, or then you have a boss who's Dave or Bill or, you know, Barry, and you still feel inadequate. It doesn't really matter. So that that's why life is this beautiful reflection of like, okay, where am I quote unquote held to my version of gravity, which is some belief of inadequacy or insecurity, which itself is a lie. You know, like I often use the expression of perfectionism and is a behavioral adaptation to a feeling of inadequacy. But the feeling of inadequacy is based on a fundamental pretense about myself. And so rather than trying to fix perfectionism or beat myself up for it, if I can see that that is just a Mm -hmm. compensation for me thinking that I'm somehow inadequate and then seeing that for what it is, which is basically just a conversation about myself, then perfectionism just falls away. It's a dissolution process, right? Mm -hmm. I I often sort of tongue in cheek say, no, no, I don't solve anyone's problems. I dissolve them. Yeah. Right. It's it's a a relinquishment of whatever's on the inside versus trying to, you know, manifest whatever it is you want externally as a compensation. Yeah. And then we're not bound to that 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 
gravity that you were talking about, basically. Like we're, yeah. we're basically now free to experience a new experience based on a new vibration, basically. Like how we have changed mm-hmm. our own frequency, what we're putting out in the world. And yeah. and I've, I can 100%, and I don't know if I went into the blind spot, but I can <clears throat> attest to that because in my experience with work, business, money, yeah. um, relationships, it's not the same as it was five years ago. Right. They're less, they're they're less uh, unfulfilling. Put it that way. Like, yeah. If that's even a word. Yeah. But like, um, let's say in relationship wise, it was very different types of females that I was attracting, attracting years yeah, ago yeah. versus now. But now I'm actually you know trying to not be on autopilot and see what mirrors right. are showing me. Yeah. And boy, like the past few experiences have showed me way too much about me, like like <laughs> 10 ticker tape parades. And yeah. I'm like, oh man, I got yeah. work to do. Yeah. Um, or but, dissolution to do. Yeah. I've got things to dissolve. But that's at least you have a different way of relating to the circumstance, right? Rather than looking at the external source as the cause of my discontent, right? So when people are upset, they're like, well, he pissed me off. Like, even if you look at that statement, I understand it. You know, and and having had my own version many many years ago, but it doesn't even make sense. What you're saying is that person controls a sort of sliver or a part of my emotional state, or even look at traffic. Right, you're sitting in a car, and then somebody does something that you don't want them to do, cut you off, or not use a blinker, or whatever it is, and then you get frustrated over a piece of metal and plastic that is moving around, driven by a human being you don't know, and then all of a sudden your whole state of wellness and peace of mind and is completely disturbed, right? That doesn't make sense. Now, I have all the compassion in the world, but if you can start to be responsible, go, hang on a minute, is that really worthy of me creating a state of dis-ease, which, you know, accumulative over time is also going to make me sick? And if there's an element of choice in that, then obviously I'm going to say no. Mm -hmm. And there is always a choice. There is, again, going back to, remember, this is subtle. There's Uh a choice as long as you're aware of it. Right, right, right. And that's a really important part because, again, I've seen way too many coaches and teachers and whatever out there say, it's up to you and you can choose. And I'm like, "Ah, you can't choose that which you're unaware of, Mm -hmm. right? And that breeds more compassion and more patience with people. And certainly in intimate relationships, people like, you know, bite each other's heads off about behavioral um, patterns that they don't like, but if they had more compassion and maybe even could hold a space for that person to investigate, why do you do that? Yeah. Versus make them wrong for it. Making people wrong is such a common human trait and it's such a disservice to the harmony of the planet because it's the expression I use, like, you know, blaming someone or making someone wrong is a poor man's version of self-worth. Mm. Right? Because if I can make you wrong for something, then at one level, what I'm saying is my opinion is not only right, but I'm right. also slightly above you. Yeah. And that is such a disservice, not only to self, but to other, because now we've completely transcended anything to do with love and harmony. Mm-hmm. And now it's just conflict. And that's the state of the, you know, the world that we live in. Course, right? People yeah, keep yeah. saying, I want world peace. I'm like, well, good fucking luck. You know, everybody's at war with themselves and their neighbor. <laughs> or, you know, it's like the beautiful expression Jesus used, right? Like, love thy neighbor as thyself. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a beautiful tenant. But how many people do you know that love themselves? Very little. Hence, they hate their neighbor. Right. <laughs> and if they love themselves, refle- yeah. A reflection of themselves. Had they loved themselves, it, it, I, I love that. That's perfect. Right. Yeah. I, and again, it's tongue in cheek, but there's, you know, there's something in that. Like yeah. if, you know, I've yet to meet a person who's totally at peace, totally loving and completely happy who has a bad word to say about anyone. Exactly. Right. I, I, I wanted to tell you how this 
amazing moment on the beach of, uh, a few weeks ago mm-hmm. where for the first time I like palpably felt uh, the observer of this experience yeah. and then the observer observing that observer. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I felt like a split. Okay. And, and it, I just was overrun with this emotion, like love. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was really powerful that I, and I'm not quote unquote a crier, but I cried yeah, yeah. on the beach. And then I had this realization. I was like, I went back to Venice Boardwalk and I saw these, these guys like being really aggressive and arguing. I said, damn, these guys just need that love. The same thing that yeah. I felt right now is, is the same thing that they need poured over <laughs> into their cup. Yeah. Or to realize that they have a full cup to give others, you know? And you need only look at the, you know, the the prison system and, you know, criminals. And again, listen, I'm not condoning behavior. There's a lot of there's a lot of bad shit that goes down out yeah. there and, and anything to me, anything that creates suffering upon another human being uh, or another animal is, you know, something that warrants looking at, right? Mm-hmm. Because I just feel the people that are conducting these behaviors that as a society we like really are intolerant of they're the ones that need the most amount of love and yet they get incarcerated where they're even feeling the the antithesis of that right like i remember i was just telling this story the other day and i'd totally forgotten about it it was probably a i don't know it was a good eight nine years ago and i was actually on my way to a date down in i don't know hermosa beach or something i'm going down the 405 i miss my exit and so i turn around i come back and I like to, you know, stick to what I said in terms of like being on time and being a man of my word. And so I didn't want to be late. So I'm going a little faster than usual just to make sure that I'm on time. And I'm probably doing about 80 to 85, somewhere in there. And I suddenly get hit in the back. <laughs> so, like it's like freaking bumper cars, we call uh-huh. it. I'm like, what the hell? Someone actually, I'm doing 80, 85. So they've got to be doing 90, 95. To hit me in the back. Oh, I thought it was at a stop. They no, 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 no. I'm on the oh, wow. I'm on the freeway. Oh wow. Right? So relative speed for me to feel that nudge forward, mm-hmm. like anyway, you get the math. So I'm like, what the hell just happened? Right. And then I see this car, I'm looking in my rearview mirror, and this car's sweet swerving. And then he takes off. And I've got a lot of power in my car. So I'm like, that that shit doesn't work for me. You know, it's like I'm not even pissed. I'm just like in a state of complete surprise. So anyway, he he takes off. I'm right behind him and he goes to the exit. And I can remember him trying to get past his car. It's like a single uh, lane exit. Mm-hmm. And there's a pothole and it's like this big splash of water. I guess it'd been raining. And he couldn't get by. And then eventually he see he knows I'm right on his tail, right? So he pulls to the right and then there's some kind of like, I don't know, deli or something and he pulls into the parking lot. Now, I'm just following my instincts, right? Which is like, I'm guessing this guy is under the influence or something. Mm -hmm. But also it's LA and you never know who's gonna get out of the car. (laughs) So he pulls over, I get out immediately and I'm not condoning, I'm not suggesting anyone do this, but I get out and I call my name. I say, hey, my name's Peter, it's okay, right? Like I don't want him to be freaking out. Mm -hmm. So he gets out. And uh, he introduces himself. I said, dude, you know, like, are you okay? And he's like, man, I'm sorry. And I said, look, it's, it's okay. Like, you, you just can't hit people at 90 miles an hour on the freeway and take off, you know? So um, I said, let's just check the back of my car and then we'll do whatever paperwork. And, and he comes, as he gets nearer, I can sort of tell he's a little, he seems a little out of it. I said, have you been drinking? And I said, it's okay. I'm not, like, I'm not going to do anything. I just, I just want you to be honest with me. And he's like, yeah. I was just in Vegas and he was watching, so it was a Super Bowl, like, I don't know, it was a playoff game. Yeah, yeah. And he was coming back because he was like wanting to get to work. And I said, okay, well, listen, you can't, clearly you can't drive. Can you call someone? And he's like, I'll call, 
you know, my wife. Anyway, check my car. It's, it's fine. It's got a little scratch. And then we're doing the insurance process and he's pulling his papers out and his wedding ring falls out of his wallet. And uh, he goes to pick it up and I said, is that your wedding band? He's like, yeah. And, you know, he starts to look down. He says, you know, it's just been a really hard time. And, and you know, mm. I'm, I'm just such an empath. And so I can feel it. And so you start to put it all together, right? Here's a guy. He's trying to have a good time. He's clearly struggling in his marriage. Um, he's having one too many pops. He's got the pressure of work. He's coming back. My guess is he fell asleep, you know, on the wheel, at the wheel. That's why he hit me. He was startled, took off. And anyway, so I sat, sat with him. His, his wife showed up. And... My point of sharing this is, and again, this is just my choice. People might think I'm a lunatic, but um, many people would have wanted to put him away. Mm -hmm. But what he needed more than anything was to be loved and held. And so he, to this day, you know, I haven't heard from him for a little while, but he would not leave me alone for a minute for the most beautiful reason, because I met him at Whole Foods and we just grabbed a juice like about a week later. And it turned out he was drinking about, he said, 70 units of alcohol a week. <clears throat> and what he wanted was to reconcile his marriage. They were trying to buy a house. And it turned out like within about six to eight weeks or so, he was completely free of alcohol. Like we weaned him off it. And uh, he and his wife bought a house. Mm -hmm. Now, instead of him sitting in a prison jail and then having that on his, you know, um, whatever you'd call conscience. it, having, uh, yeah. well, on his conscience, but also on his record, right? Oh, yeah, his man. DUI and oh, all of that. Yeah, yeah. So I could have been all high on almighty, uh, but here's a kid who... He got a chance. And again, I'm truly not condoning that we want people driving around at 90 miles an hour under the influence on the freeway and that we should be just giving them love. But there's probably a lot to that versus like making them wrong and putting them in jail and making them feel shitty about themselves. Yeah. Right. So long-winded story, but for me, it was such a powerful experience to be able to hold that space for somebody who was really struggling and um, and then to get that resolution. So People are doing the best they can, you know, and that doesn't mean that behaviors are to be accepted. There are consequences for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, but I feel to your point that what most people need more than anything is 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 to be held, to yeah. be loved and to be accepted and to be given a, an opportunity to break out of these behavioral cycles that are self-abusive and ultimately abusive to other people. Mm -hmm. So, When you said to me, um, you, you did it based on what you knew. The, yeah. be the best of what you knew yeah. in that situation, in that context, that was pretty freeing enough for me to be like, well, damn, you know, like here I am judging everything that I could have, should have, would have. Yeah. But it was based on what I knew, based <clears throat> on that subconscious. Yeah. And again, partly instinct, right? I've never, that's never happened to me before where I've been hit by someone. Like yeah. a lot of my friends are like, dude, what were you doing? That guy could have had a gun. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm trusting my instincts. And secondly, yeah, I've done so much work that I feel very confident about supporting people in a way that really is powerful to help them transcend patterns and and clearly you know this beautiful he's such a beautiful guy who was just having a tough period you know a tough few years and it just manifested in this weird collision literally and figuratively between these two souls and i was able to hold a space and make a difference for him yeah. and, and not everyone has that skill set other people have other beautiful attributes and talents they can bring to people but really the message is let's you know as cliche as it is especially on the back of the whole kobe thing but like let's Let's help each other out a little more. Let's, yeah. you know, bring a little bit more love and acceptance. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and again, I'm not, I'm not saying that there are behaviors that we should just ignore. You know, there are consequences of people being destructive and, and harming people. And harming people, yeah. Yeah, animals. I'm not a, not a fan of that at all. But, but, uh, but again, the, the, the universe, will say, gave you the exact people, place, things, situation, circumstance for you to 
you know, at, at least open up and, and show yourself, yeah, you know, I can yeah. approach others with love again. And that person, it's like a, yeah. a beautiful cosmic chain of events that happen. And I feel blessed that I'm that guy, right? I have another story just came to mind. I totally forgot about it. I'm on Wilshire and uh, I'm pulling along and this bus just starts to pull away. And I can see this guy who must be mid to late 70s trying to run, right? Because he's not running, but he's because he's clearly missed his bus. Mm -hmm. So as the bus pulls out, I can see that and I literally pull right in behind it. I lean over, open the door and, tell, and sort of, you know, signal the guy to get in the car. So he gets in the car, doesn't speak a lick of English. He's like Russian or something. And so we're following this bus like until eventually it turns left on fourth or something until it gets to the next stop. And then I pull right in front of the bus, open the, you know, he gets out and gets on the bus. Now, mm -hmm. I, I mean, that was the only time I ever saw that human being. Mm -hmm. But it was for me, like these are moments in my life that, you know, I haven't talked about forever, but they're, they're just beautiful moments where I can see what the joy is of like making a difference for somebody who is ultimately a complete stranger, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I think we all have that opportunity. Random acts of kindness, what do people call it? You know, yeah. people go around and put money in people's meters that have expired. I mean, yeah. it doesn't take that much effort to make a difference or to contribute to someone or show, show that sense of love and compassion, mm -hmm. you know, and I, mm -hmm. and yeah, I feel, listen, I could have used a lot of that when I was younger because yeah, <laughs> I've gone through my own sort of uh, forms of adversity, but it certainly fulfills my life in a way that I realize the degree to which we make a difference to other people is the degree to which we feel our worth, mm -hmm. right? And I, I read this interesting exercise, a speaker, I mean, it's a very cool idea. He, he had 40 people or something or 300 people. I don't know what it was. They all had a balloon and they all had to write their name on the balloon. And then he puts the balloon in this big room, all the balloons. And then he says, everyone go and find your balloon with your name on it. Right. And he said, people went in there and to begin with, it was kind of fun and people were playful, but there's fucking 300 balloons or whatever. Right? You ain't people can't, you can't yeah. find shit. Unless you get really lucky. Yeah. And then, you know, so then start, what happened is human nature, people started to get aggressive. And they were pushing each other aside and now it gets really competitive. And this is that survival instinct kicks in, right? And so like 10, 15 minutes have gone by, people can't find their balloons, you know, maybe one or two, maybe. But then he says, okay, I want everybody to grab a balloon and call out the name and find the person. Yeah. And it was, you know, I had never heard of that exercise. I've heard a lot just because of doing workshops and stuff. But I was like, that's a, such a cool reflection of, okay, as long as we're looking out for ourselves, we lose. Yeah. But when we're looking out for other people, we all win. Mm -hmm. And it was it was just a powerful demonstration of that, right? Is yeah. that the degree to which, as I said, I can make a difference in somebody else's life is the degree to which not only do they obviously they're the beneficiary of my care, but I am equally the winner because uh, as we express, so we experience is the, ex mm -hmm. is the term I use. So if I'm expressing love, making a difference, I'm equally the beneficiary of that coming through me. If I'm expressing blame, hate, frustration towards somebody, guess what? We're equally both experiencing that. Yeah. And, and so. that just brings back, it revalidates, reconfirms everything that, you know, there is that oneness that, mm -hmm. you know, transcends all of us. And we're just these waves in this ocean, right? Cosmic ocean. Yeah. So of course, like it feels so good because we're, we're reminded that we're just giving to ourselves that same love and, and yeah. compassion and affection. 
Listen to us two soppy LA guys. I know, I know. <laughs> it's like people are like, I just want to get rid of my OBS. I know. Like, can, you, can you talk about pizza and like it's, fire? And... Exactly, but it's deeper <laughs> it's like, than just that. Just love each other. Yeah, it's deeper than that. It's deeper it than that. It yeah. is. And, and all that disease is coming based on just yeah. forgetting who we are and what we are. Yeah. So, well, and I love the word disease, right? Because if you break it down, the dis-ease, the absence of ease. So mm -hmm. then now we can get into the biology. If it's psychologically, emotionally, I'm in a state of dis-ease, meaning I'm, I'm unhappy, I'm upset, I'm depressed. I'm anxious, I'm scared, I'm fearful, I'm guilty, you know, I've got shame, whatever it is, fill in the blank. Ultimately, that is going to cascade into our physiology, right? Because now I'm not digesting food properly. If I'm not digesting food properly, then I'm going to build up in Ayurveda, we call armor, right? Undigested food, which is like glue. You see it on the back of your tongue in the morning. And then that blocks the subtle channel channels, you know, and then now all of a sudden there's this block, you know, in Chinese medicine, they recognize that the, the degree to which we're sick is the degree to which there's some sort of blockage, like, you know, chi and prana mm -hmm. is not flowing fully. So that's why I obviously put so much emphasis on the psychology, because it does cascade into our physiology that does eventually manifest as actual disease. So, yeah, that's 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 know. like the end stage part of this process yeah. where we have, oh, my God, I have IBS now or, you know, SIBO yeah. or I have asthma. Like this is we have to go back like you said reverse engineer yeah that's true healing and health remove those blockages yeah and i'm biased again because of what i do and i've seen it way too many times i did that one podcast with a guy who had dermatitis around his eye Kerwin ray who's awesome in australia and within 24 hours like it gone 70 80 percent disappeared and then mm -hmm. a couple of months later i'm getting these dms from you know thousands of them which is so touching but one woman's like i've had psoriasis for, you know, as long as I can remember, like, you know, close to a decade. And she said, I listened to that podcast and I kid you not, within about a week, it's all gone. Yeah. Now yeah. that's just conversation, right? That's her own intuition, her own insight, listening to what I'm saying. I don't, I don't know who this person is. I can't claim stake to doing that, but I obviously was sharing something that was inspirational enough for her to see a new sense of how to relate to her dis-ease, her own sense of anxiety, the inflammatory response that all of that was creating, the, the friction between her and life and the judgment that she had, mm -hmm. all of that to suddenly just dissipate manifested in her physiology mm -hmm. and that's why again i'm biased but if you don't take care of what's happening at the most fundamental level of your subconscious and your psyche then everything that you're doing on the physical level is going to be a best transitory mm -hmm. and people do get results they do i'm not denying that even sometimes pharmaceutical products you know which is a whole nother conversation are going to give relief but invariably those things get revisited you know, it might take a couple of years, but you're like, oh, you're back into that. Or even if you have, you know, heartburn, IBS, whatever you've got going on in, in terms of your indigestion or your acid reflux and you take a Prilosec or a Nexium or whatever, okay, maybe you are absent of symptoms, but how far is that inflammatory response and that imbalance getting pushed into your system so yeah. that it manifests as rheumatoid arthritis Later. in 10 years from mm -hmm. now? Mm -hmm. So did you really solve anything or did you just sort of push it to one side for a minute and then it's going to show up again? Yeah. You can't sweep on things under the rug and just hope, you know, you got to like get under the rug and get all that dirt out. And that's the beauty of having a physical body because the body doesn't lie. It never does. It will always it, show it, you where there's some imbalance. I've, I got psoriasis after my mom passed away. Uh -huh. And I've done the, trust me, the best protocols out there. <laughs> you can imagine, right? Yeah. And I was like, 
okay, this is mental emotional. Yeah. This is this isn't physical. Yeah. And I I've known that. And as I've worked on different states, it's gotten better. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, and we'll be working together. So I know I'm gonna be <laughs> we'll get, yeah. I'll be gleaming uh, no psoriasis and yeah, shining absolutely. like a yeah. no, I can't wait to help you with that. And that is, you know, that's a beautiful thing to even be aware of that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and even give yourself a little bit of patience and compassion about okay, fine. That was a that was a tough situation to go through. There's a lot of heartache and grief and there's going to be a reaction, right? Sure. Which then is manifesting in your skin somewhere. Um, so, what do you have planned now? Anything? Any? Any things for the future? What do we? What do we want to tell the listeners, the viewers? Um, I, I got. I mean, I got tons coming up. I, uh, the most sort of pertinent right now is like doing an online course, which uh, I can't get get to everyone. You know, I even had to hire someone to help me with my. DMs and handle because mm-hmm. <laughs> the, re- the response has been so beautiful and so touching with all these podcasts I've been in so or been on. So um, putting together a, a really cool course that will come out here probably in two or three weeks, probably the beginning of February, first, second week of February. Um, and why I feel so passionate about it is because it's not just me sort of staring at a camera telling you how to live your life. I'm I'm not so good at that. I don't like telling people what to do. I like to use inspiration versus instruction, I tell people. But you get to witness me working with four people who I'd never met before and taking them through the process of their own awakening from some of these like constraints. So vicariously, you get to relate to whatever it is they're going through. Mm -hmm. So that's part of it. Then there is another um, few videos that do actually talk about some of the actual mechanics of the mind. So that's coming out, finishing my book. Um, Yeah, I'm just working with some really cool you know, people out there who, mm-hmm. uh, whether they're athletes or high-end businessmen who are, you know, women who are making their difference just because they're, they've got a new set of eyes to look through. So, yeah. I um, love that. Love yeah. that. The book is uh, out this year or next year? This year at some point, even that I'm looking at how to do that. I'll be honest, because yeah. I'm not a fan of the old publishing model. And I think, I think what I'll probably do is bake it into a course that people will get more support. They'll mm-hmm. have a community, um, they'll probably get like a chapter every couple of weeks or something like that mm. so that they can work on it, look at it. I just don't like the model of like, oh, here's another book. It's 1999 and you throw it on your bedside table with the other five that you haven't read yet. Yeah. And so I want to one through a process of commitment, but also to really support people, give a better, you know, sort of a, a curate a journey together. So that because these distinctions are deep, you know, I've done this for three decades and I've gotten to a point where. I feel based on the reflection and response I'm getting, this is really making a difference. It's not just Peter Crone's celebrity secrets or he's an expert on, it's like, no, this is shifting the course of humanity. Yeah. And for me, that warrants a particular um, sort of packaging to make sure that people really get the most out of that experience. Yeah, so. not just a hardcover on, under the den. You know, I, I get it. Uh, uh, here's another book. You know, it's like in three seconds you've clicked on, you know, buy on Amazon Prime and which which is fine. I think it's beautiful that we have the access. But I, I again, I don't want to be overinflating the importance of my work as it's mine, but really the importance of awakening beyond a an old construct that doesn't work for humanity anymore. No. And that to me warrants like this, a slightly deeper engagement with the work itself. Yeah. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. And you sign yeah. me up, I'll be the first customer. <laughs> I'm on the course, I'm on the book, I'm in there. And everyone else, uh, viewers and listeners, keep an eye on. I'll probably, Thank you. when it comes out, you just let me know, I'll, I'll publish it. For and sure, for sure. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, you know, again, without sounding too philanthropic, I just love people, I care about people, and people are suffering. And yeah. It's unnecessary. You know, yeah. it's just, it's not, it's, not a, it's not one of these things that's currently avoidable because it's the human journey. 
But it's unnecessary when you can really see, wow, what is at the root cause yeah. of my own suffering, yeah. whether it be as again, body, mind, you know, relationships, finances, and get to the other side of that. That's, that's true freedom. And that's what I'm committed to bringing to people. I love that. Thank you so much, Peter, for coming here. It was an honor. It was You're a welcome. wonderful conversation and uh, love to have you back sometime soon. All right. Yeah, it'd be my pleasure. And just, you know, don't drive at 85 miles an hour on the freeway. <laughs> <laughs> nice and safe. Follow, follow the limits. Uh, yeah. Thank you. So we'll see you soon, Peter. Yeah, all right. Pleasure. All right. Thanks, brother.